Hi, welcome to the second season of the 12th House Podcast. I'm Michelle Pelazon Lipsitz, your host in the Head Witch in Charge here at Holisticism, and I am so excited to be back in your feed. Thanks for staying subscribed. <laughs> And thanks for listening while we were gone. Uh, so many of you shared your favorite episodes on Instagram and on TikTok, and it's been so cool to see, but I'm really happy to be back. We've been working hard behind the scenes on a ton of research, getting lots of really cool guests, and putting together some big concepts that um, just are taking time. They take time and resources, and we want to do them right. So thank you for you know, being patient as we try to put together something really amazing for you. You're the best and you deserve the best. And we are doing our best <laughs> to deliver that. So happy that we're here. And I've got a, a little brief series over the next two weeks that I'm stoked to be talking about monetization and magical people. But before I get into that, just some housekeeping stuff. In case you don't know, we have another podcast. It's called Good For You. And I hope that you didn't think that we abandoned the 12th house for the, for Good For You, for a brighter, shiner, shinier, useful podcast. No, never. We would never. But Good For You is definitely a different tone and really fun. It's like your unhinged, <laughs> um, unhinged work wife talking about Cosmic consumerism gone rogue, the things that we love, the things that we add to cart that we are afraid to make purchases of, and really like how does our relationship to products and services and media contribute to our well-being for better or for worse? You know, like I love an adaptogenic latte, you know, and sometimes what makes me feel really good is like getting a, a nice new pair of socks or tights that I can wear to my Pilates class. And sometimes that makes me feel just as good as, you know, drinking your green juice or going on a run or whatever. <laughs> and we wanted to discuss and unpack all of that and just be be real, be weird, keep you up to date on the newest, hottest trends in the wellness space, and um, give you something to laugh about. It comes out every Friday and you can subscribe on Good For You Pod. I'll put the link below. And if you could subscribe and rate us on Spotify. We would be forever grateful, truly. Also, if you just like smash that star button on Spotify for this podcast, that would be amazing. It helps us get found by other people. And the more listeners we have, the more we can get really incredible sponsors who help us make even better content um, because they, that means that we can go even deeper on our research. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast for rating, reviewing, subscribing, share with your friends, all that dumb stuff that I know that you hear from everyone, but it really does make a difference. And if you want even more stuff like Good For You and The 12th House, subscribe to The Cusp. It's our private members community for wellness hype beasts. It's five bucks a month, which is like what most people Substacks cost, right? But holy shit, do you get so much content? You get this incredible community of like a thousand wellness hype beasts. You get monthly white papers where we deep dive into an area of the wellness industry and we just pull it apart from every angle, especially from the angles that you might not see as a consumer. So you understand what's happening in either the businesses that we're reviewing or just in the wellness and well-being space in general. I just wrote an article that's going gangbusters on what happened to Glossier. And if you want to understand the economics there and why they were laying off so many people and why they're a $2 billion company, but they're probably not going to be sold for $2 billion. You got to read the article. It's, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty good. You also get 
articles like and content like our five wellness businesses every month. We create five different wellness businesses that you can steal based on trends in the industry, Google trends, things that we're seeing, and we give you a pathway to profitability. You can literally just steal the idea and run with it, borrow the idea and run with it. We also publish our required reading, which is our media that we're paying attention to, things that we're loving, what we're thinking about, what we're focusing on. And then finally, you get our Cusp favorites. All of our Cusp community members write in their favorite products every month and the products that they've added to their cart that they just haven't pulled the trigger on yet. And you get to see what everyone else is buying, what they're loving and what their recommendations are. It's a really fun community. It's five bucks a month. You get their first two weeks for free and we'd love to have you. And finally, if you're not already in the Holisticism Hub, which is our free members community, like what are you doing? Anyone and everyone can be part of the Holisticism Hub. We have free events. We have lots of swaps and ways to connect with each other. I'm teaching a class actually in one week on on Valentine's Day called Magical Monetization Strategies, Wealth, Archetypes, Timeline Collapsing, and Passive Income Systems. It's going to be really fun. It's on Valentine's Day at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And you can join just RSVP by joining the Holisticism Hub. It's free, like I said, and we'd love to have you. Plus, if you want to be a V to the I to the P for Holisticism and hear about everything that we put out first, be part of the Hub because we often hook people up in the Hub before we let everyone else know, you know, on the World Wide Web, what we're up to. Okay, so that's the housekeeping stuff. Let's get into today's episode. Over the last sort of the the last series that we worked on in 2021 for the 12th house was all about money as medicine. Oh my God. Um, We have the best guests. Holy shit. Such smart, incredible people. And we got such great feedback from you that we figured, well, there's still some stuff we want to talk about when it comes to magic, magical monetization, abundance, wealth, and our relationship to it. And in particular, you know, in the North Node, which is our members community for intuitive entrepreneurs, this quarter, we're talking about audacious abundance. And that means over the next you know, three months from January to March, we'll be doing exercises and challenges, having guest speakers come in, delivering a mini course, tons and tons of stuff around money and our relationship to money. And it's been so interesting for me to witness this incredible group of people going through these exercises together and just what they're able to find in mind. And I know I'll speak from for myself that there's always more information for me to learn about myself, how I see the world and how I see myself and how I see other people through my relationship to money and wealth and finances and resource. And it's so complex. And I don't think that we could, you know, in just a couple of episodes, dive into everything. But I think we, we, we got off to a good start in 2021. And in particular, what I've been thinking about a lot is this idea of our relationship to how we think about money contributing to how we run our businesses. And before I go any further, I just want to give you a heads up. Stacy and I made this really amazing asset called Rosebud, Rosebud, Rosebud. It's a like super, super detailed cheat sheet on how you can cast digital spells for abundance, how you can cast actual spells for abundance, portal making practices that include sigils and spell wallpaper, and then portal making apps and tools so practical magic that you can use when it comes to 
creating a new relationship and new perspective on money, wealth, and abundance. It is like jam-packed with stuff. It's super valuable and you can get it for free. We call it Rosebud because I don't know if you remember The Sims. <laughs> I don't know if you fuck with The Sims, but you could use this cheat code called hashtag Rosebud and it would give you $1,000. And you could do it like as many times as you wanted. And it was the best because you could just be deep pocket Sims. You could be speaking Simlish, putting up your new <laughs> interior decorations, like paintings everywhere. Pool in the backyard, absolutely. We have enough money for that. The heart-shaped bed that vibrates, add it to cart. We've got the money because hashtag Rosebud. And we just really like that idea of this cheat code that you didn't have to do any extra work and it it unlocked abundance. So you can grab that asset at the link in our show notes. It's super valuable, like I said. And it has a ton of really helpful links, including all of my favorite products and program isn't the right word, products and apps like platforms that I use when it comes to money. So things that help me save money, things that actually help me invest my money, platforms that help me make more money, all of the above. These are all linked inside of this asset. I think it's going to be really helpful. So go get it, go listen to it, go enjoy it. But inside of this, while I was making this thing, I kept thinking about how every time we try a new strategy, we're collapsing a timeline, right? That's that's what collapsing a timeline or making a quantum leap is. It's It's employing a strategy that you've never tried before. It's doing something that gives you a brand new outcome. And really just a quant- taking a quantum leap means that you find a new door. You find a fa- typically like a faster, more elegant, easeful way to do the thing that everyone told you had to be done a specific way, a certain way, only this way. And it's I, as I was putting together this thing, I just kept thinking and seeing this image in my head of like, when we try something new, let's say we employ a new strategy. For example, let's say you download one of these apps that we've linked to. I won't tell you what they are. I'll let you be surprised so you can go check them out yourself. And you start using it. The minute you do that, it's like a portal gets created in the universe, like a new portal. Like you rip the time-space continuum in a good way and you create a new a, a new timeline, a new potential outcome, a new trajectory to where you say you now want to go. And that's really cool because every time we make a new portal, what we're doing is finding a new door. And I don't know about you, but for me, the times that I've felt the most frustrated when it came to money, wealth, abundance, work, right, feeling resourced was when I felt like there was only one door. I could only see one solution. And I felt trapped and stuck because I didn't like that door. I didn't like that that was the only way that I could get what I said I wanted, or that was the only way I could be happier. That was the only way I could make money. And really collapsing a timeline or quantum leaping is just about finding a new door. And when we can create those portals, when we can crack open those doors ourselves, we can create them ourselves. We are just giving ourselves the power of choice. And making new or employing new strategies does that. And so this worksheet will be really helpful, but I also want you to think about that as I'm talking through this episode, that when we try something new, we effectively like create a new potential, new pathway towards our desired outcome. And we can choose whether we want to walk down it or not, which is kind of cool, I think. But it also... I've been thinking a lot about just having a squiggly brain and how squiggly brained people in particular see 
new pathways more quickly than others. And it's like, it's, it's actually second nature to us because, and let me like roll the tape back. I call myself a squiggly brained person because I do not think in straight lines or right angles. I am nonlinear and creative and I have ADHD and I'm a Pisces. Like I am, I am all loop-de-loops and I like that about myself. It definitely does make part of my life harder because I don't think in a linear fashion and the world is made for linear thinkers and the systems in the world are made for linear thinkers, but I'm really lucky that I get a brain like this that helps me see new ways of doing things. And I think a lot of really intuitive people are the same, you know, really creative people. We are nonlinear thinkers. We see new new ways of doing things. And we also have our own hurdles to overcome when it comes to executing on those things, on those new pathways. But in, a, in, in any sense, <laughs> as a squiggly-brained person, when I think about cracking open a new portal or trying a new thing, right? It's almost second nature for us to be able to non-linearly figure out through our idiosyncratic way of connecting ideas or concepts, we can figure out new ways of doing things. We can figure out more creative ways of doing things. And that's really cool. But it also means that for squiggly-brained people, at least in my experience and very intuitive people, our relationship to money is, is really different. And especially things like budgeting or you know, like the sort of like traditional advice that you hear often just kind of doesn't really apply to us. It, it's not helpful. It actually feels really harmful and detrimental. And like, maybe even like it makes us feel stupid. <laughs> and I, I wanted to just talk about how squiggly brain money magic is different than maybe like linear brained money magic or money practice. And in that, I'm going to talk a little bit about limiting beliefs, but I, but I don't really want to call them limiting beliefs because I read this book, Cultish, in over, over my honeymoon. It was so good by Amanda Montal. I, I loved it. And I've been thinking about this for a while. I haven't used this term in a while, but she makes this excellent point that limiting beliefs is sort of like that terminology is a bit of a red flag when it comes to cults or cult-ish organizations, things like MLMs, because it can be very coercive. And I mean, like picture when someone, <laughs> when you often hear limiting beliefs come up in conversation, it's because often someone is unable or unwilling to take an action, right? They're unwilling to look at them, to, to picture themselves as a lovable person. Let's, let's use that example. And so maybe their coach or therapist or whomever they're working with would say, okay, you have a limiting belief around your lovability and the fact that you are lovable. Fair. Great. In that context, totally works. But I do think that the term limiting beliefs has really been sort of like... <laughs> just bow guarded by MLMs and cults. And it's turned into a descriptor for, and it's sort of like gaslighty term for when someone doesn't want to do something and like their intuition is telling them, no, a superior can say, well, that's just your limiting beliefs talking. And in order to get better, to ascend, you need to trust and you need to have faith and you need to eliminate your limiting beliefs. 
And I just don't think that that term is helpful and I don't think it's useful. And I think that it's like pretty gaslighting and gross and victim blaming and weird. And I get, you know, that we have limiting beliefs, but I also think like quote unquote limiting beliefs are not a bad thing. Like I have a limiting belief that I won't be able to jump off my roof and fly. That, like, and that's, I think that's okay. I think I'll, I think I'll hold on to that one, please. And thank you. At the same time, I totally understand this, the concept behind it, right? Which is my perspective from where I sit is inhibiting my ability to get to where I want to go or where I say I want to go. And I'm unable to make the jump from where I am now to where I want to be. And that's where, you know, like sometimes we need to see someone else doing it to prove that it's possible for us. Sometimes we need to investigate why we believe what we believe because everything is like we've created our world through a meaning making system, right? That works for us. But our meaning making system is just a system and it's not infallible. At any moment, we can decide actually this system does not work for me anymore. I don't believe in this system. And we can pick a new meaning making system, a new way to see the world and to understand the world and to make sense of how we are supposed to fit into the world. So I don't know. I feel like it's not helpful to talk about limiting beliefs. And I'm not trying to shit on people who talk about it, but I just feel like it's like, it's a little, and I'd rather investigate why I think the thing that I think. I actually, I'd rather investigate pretty much everything that I think about and just ask myself, why do I believe that? And today, does that seem true? So let's operate from maybe just, just for the next couple minutes, let's operate from that perspective. Why do I believe that? And is it true? And if it is, great. And if it's helpful, great. But if it's not, maybe we leave it behind or we consider leaving it behind. So let's talk about squiggly brains and money beliefs and why people with squiggly brains may not, or really intuitive people may have some like maybe extra baggage or even like a meaning making system that's worked for them up until this point, but it is no longer working. And maybe that meaning making system is, and that, that way they make sense of the world is I'm really creative, but I'm not good with numbers because in their world, being creative means being bad at math or being, being bad at numbers, or maybe I'm not good with numbers. And so I'm not good with money. And so by the transitive property, if I am creative, then I'm bad with money, right? Or maybe I have to constantly be working, constantly working hard in order to make money because as someone with a squiggly brain or a highly intuitive person, a very creative person, I tend to like excess. One thing that we do know about squiggly brains, and in particular people with ADHD, is that their dopamine and norepinephrine levels need to be in excess in order to feel focused. So dopamine is the, the compound that helps you, that's, that is what gets introduced when you have novelty. So it's like, um, it's newness, it's like a shiny object, right? And norepinephrine is what basically causes us stress, anxiety, and fear. And the combination of those two things together, having our interest peaked by something that's novel, and also having a little bit of like maybe healthy fear around it or anxiety or being a bit wary of it are the two things that help us focus and get in flow state. If you have ADHD, you need 
extremely high levels, you're going to search for extremely high levels of both of those things because your receptors are, are off. You need an excessive amount of dopamine and an excessive amount of norepinephrine. So you might tend to put yourself into a very high stress situation or a high stress life or an intense life where you're working really hard all the time in order to focus. And so, of course, it would make sense that you would think, well, in order to make money, I have to be super focused and I need to work really, really, the only way I can get focused is work really, really hard. Or maybe your thought process is, I'm not responsible with money. I spend it as soon as I have it. And I'm just not a responsible person. And, you know, that, that may be true, but maybe it's not about responsibility. Maybe it's actually that you have a squiggly brain and things like bills or deadlines are, are very difficult for you. They're much more difficult for you than they are the average person. And it doesn't mean that you're stupid or lazy or irresponsible. It just means that your brain works differently. And so in order for those things to actually for you to pay attention to them, your norepinephrine has to be super high. So instead of paying the bill on time, when you have the money to pay it, you let the bill go to collections when it goes up, you know, double. My God, I've done this so many times when like the bill doubles and you're like, fuck, <laughs> I could have paid it before. Like, why didn't I just pay it? What's wrong with me? And it's only when you like wake up in the middle of the night, you know, like with an anxiety dream where you're like, fuck, I need to do that thing. Right. And that's what finally gets you motivated into action. And that's the thing about squiggly brained people. We need excessive amounts of stimulation um, to, in order to really get into action, be, be moved, because we are constantly understimulated. Ugh, it's a lot, right? And all of these things, these are just like some perspectives we might have around our squiggly brains or with our squiggly brains when it comes to money. And I think it can make you feel like you're stupid and you're not cut out to ever be able to hold wealth or that wealth is is really bad and that only bad people make money or only boring people have money <laughs> or people who, who make money are like super, super smart. They're way smarter than me. And all those things are not necessarily true, right? I know plenty of really dumb wealthy people. I know plenty of really interesting wealthy people. I know plenty of people who are not really that responsible, but they're good with money because they hire other people to help them. There's always a new portal to open. There's always a more creative way to do things. There's always a new path to find. And investigating our own beliefs around money that may or may not be true is helpful, right? Because like it helps us understand who we are and what we're motivated by. But it also helps us see where we could potentially find a new door, where if we made a little bit more space, if we weren't so black and white around our thinking, that we might be able to collapse the timeline. For example, I'm not great with numbers and I'm not good with money. Well, if I wasn't so black and white around that, maybe I could be not great with numbers, but amazing with money. And what would that look like? It wouldn't mean that I have to be able to do like, you know, advanced calculus in my brain. <laughs> it just means that I have to be able to do like basic addition and subtraction back in the napkin math. And I can still be really good with money. Those two things can be possible. So all this is to be said, what helps a squiggly brained or an intuitive person with money and with our relationship to money? The first thing is understanding those, your extreme nature, right? 
that dopamine and norepinephrine, the habits that you might get into, especially around spending and paying bills. If you tend to put put off paying your bills, waiting until the last minute, just knowing that about yourself instead of saying, oh, I'm such a lazy piece of shit or I'm so stupid or I can't believe I keep doing this. It's so embarrassing. Like that's not helpful. <laughs> Being like an asshole to yourself clearly isn't useful. It doesn't help you get motivated because if it did, you would do it. But it doesn't. It doesn't work, right? So like, don't use that strategy anymore. It seems pretty simple. You have to find a new strategy, right? That's what this is all about. Got to find that third door. Maybe if I know that about myself, I can build some systems around me to help make it easier for me to pay those bills on time. And same thing with dopamine, right? If we know that we're looking for lots of stimulation, lots of attention, lots of novelty in order to keep our focus, then it makes sense that we might want to constantly be online shopping because we are looking for stimulation everywhere we could get it. And great. It also feels really good when you go to buy something, right? Or maybe even floods you with both those things, dopamine and anxiety, because you know you don't have that much money. But mm, adding that thing to cart is so fun. And sometimes just being able to see that for ourselves and see the pattern before we even make the spend, before we make the purchase, can help just reset ourselves, reset us, and even reset us somatically to, you know, what's going on in our bodies and figure out before we make a decision that makes us feel even worse, like buying something that's way out of our budget or, you know, binging on a bunch of, you know, Amazon purchases that we're, we don't really need. Just taking that moment to, to notice that dopamine or norepinephrine sort of like outreach can be really useful. I also think that seeing new pathways is really helpful for nonlinear thinkers. And in particular, I think looking at new systems like crypto, blockchain, and NFTs can kind of unlock something for us. Because we're those nonlinear thinkers that are always looking for opening a new portal, finding a new way, seeing a better way of doing things. I'm not necessarily saying that cryptocurrency or blockchain or NFTs are a better way of doing things. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that they're a new way. And when we can see new ways created around us, when we can witness their creation, that unlocks something in us. And so instead of being afraid of these new, these new technologies or these, these new perspectives, can we invite some curiosity around them and just see how they make sense to us? And I guarantee you that when you begin to learn a little bit about these perspectives, you will get it because you're smart and because you're intuitive. And you understand that maybe up until this point had been absolutely blocked on just because of like financial language, like the way that your dad described the markets, right? But when you start looking at it from this new, fresher perspective of these brand new technologies, all of a sudden it begins to come together. And I really have seen, I can't tell you how many people I've seen who are really intuitive or squiggly brained who have started just very, 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 from a hobbyist perspective, getting into crypto, how many of them, there has been a direct connection and increase in the amount of money that they make, not through crypto, but just like how they relate to money completely shifts. And it's really cool. I think it has to do with this seeing new ways and how like wealth is really just like a bunch of people deciding at the same time, this thing is valuable just because we say it's valuable. And that's like, that's a spell, you know, that's like, we're all, we've all been charmed to believe that something is valuable or to believe that something is important. It's a collective charm. I just think it's so interesting. So 
that's another thing that I think really helps with squiggly in intuitive brains is seeing new pathways through new perspectives on things like crypto, NFTs, etc. Another thing that I think is really helpful for intuitive people is knowing that not budgeting is actually going to be really helpful. Budgeting the traditional way just is not made for a nonlinear brain. It's not made for an intuitive person. It's made for very, very type A, like sort of traditional thinkers. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It, it can work for so many people. But for a lot of us with nonlinear brains, budgeting actually does the opposite of what we want it to do. It puts us in that place of feeling stupid, of feeling like we're not enough. And it puts us in all or nothing. And when we go into that all or nothing, it's almost like a binge and purge place. We like ball out when we don't have, when we, we, we can't, right? Like we break our budget. And so now all of a sudden we're spending $1,000 on a flat screen TV and it's like, wait, what? No, no, no. We only, we don't even have $1,000 in the bank account. Like that all or nothing black and white cognitive distortion can creep in really easily and throw you off. And then you get in a cycle of just like self-loathing, self-loathing, excuse me, and regret and shame and also stress because now you're, you've got even more debt than you had when you first started. And why can't I get myself out of this? And I feel so stupid. And that perpetuates that negative self-talk and that perspective building that tells you that you're not good with money. So I want to encourage you to maybe not budget in the traditional way. And I'm talking about this in magical monetization, our notion for magical bodies class, but there's a particular way of budgeting that's really helpful for ADHD and squirrely brained people and intuitive people. And I've actually been teaching it for a while in the North Node and it's called profit first. And the profit first model is the best way for ADHD people to, to be able to save money. It's a non-budget budget because there's not, you don't ever put numbers on what you're spending. You instead create containers. And if you've taken my systems class, you know that containers are really important for those of us with squiggly brains and really intuitive people. We need to have just the right amount of containers. And often we either have not enough containers. So we have like one big box that we put everything in, or we have 400 boxes that we put that we, we just don't even know what to put in them. Right. And the same thing can happen with our budgets. We'll either get so granular and detailed that like there's no wiggle room and it's like too extreme and it's too rigid. And then it ends up breaking obviously, or it's a free for all. Right. And that's not effective either. So non-traditional budgeting like the profit first method is really helpful for squiggly brained and intuitive people. Another thing that can be really helpful is just making more money. <laughs> now, I know that that sounds really obvious, but in particular, nonlinear thinkers are excellent at finding what I would call is their, their like intersection, their wealth intersection. And that's basically the intersection of two concepts that seem to have almost nothing in common with each other that are interests, peak interests of, of you as a person and finding where they intersect, finding where those two concepts intersect. So let's say you are like supremely interested in tarot cards from Renaissance France. That's actually too old for tarot cards from, you know, like revolutionary, like the French revolution, tarot cards from the dawn of the French revolution and you're interested in like geology, okay? So the unique intersection of those two things might be geology and the 
the, the relics that were made in, in France at this time and what sort of like natural materials were made, what can, were used to like make the dye or what, what minerals were, you know, crunched together with linseed oil to, to paint on these cards to hold up in court or wherever they might be used. What else can we learn about how people used the land when we look at these, these two places? And maybe what does that tell us about magical practices? So you can take this, you know, as a nonlinear thinker, it's going to be so much easier for you to, than it is an, a linear person to take two disparate concepts and bring them together. And that's where you can carve out your own niche and be incredibly well, become basically an expert immediately because there's no one else talking about what you're talking about. And when you be, when you carve yourself out as an expert, you can charge more. You have a business, right? You have a unique product or you have a unique proposition that no one else has. You know, coaches that help women get self-confidence are a dime a dozen. But coaches that help women get self-confidence who have also had a life-threatening cancer diagnosis in their early 20s are much rarer, right? So, and have a, a very different perspective. And when you can find that sort of like interesting intersection, you have no competition. And that is where you're really going to shine. Also, by the way, when you are at the intersection of two things that you're obsessed with, you will love your job forever. It will always be interesting to you. <laughs> and you will, you will also be charming and interesting to other people. When you are genuinely enthusiastic about what you do, it's contagious. And that's really like, if you want to be profitable, that's what you do. You follow what really, like what you can't stop obsessing about, no matter how hard you try. And then finally, I think the thing that's probably the, probably the most important is for people that, that have squiggly brains, when it comes to money, is knowing that you don't have to monetize everything. I'm going to talk about this next week, but it's a, a very common problem, especially for really intuitive or squiggly brained or ADHD people. And I wouldn't say that squiggly brain and ADHD is a word that you could, like they're not interchangeable necessarily, but you know, people with ADHD have squiggly brains. Not all people with squiggly brains have ADHD, but you know, whatever. You can, you can claim whatever title you would like. However, we know that for those of us who need high levels of norepinephrine, fear, or anxiety, um, in order to, to act. We usually act really well under pressure. So if this is you, you probably love a deadline. Like you work your best when you have a deadline. You do your best work, I should say, when you have a deadline. Maybe you even don't start your work until an, an hour before your deadline. Maybe you yeah, love high pressure work situations and like working fast. Maybe you also tend to be overloaded when it comes to what's on your plate. So you constantly have an, like an endless to-do list and you have tons of projects that you're working on because that's how you know you can motivate yourself into action. What tends to happen for those of us who have those behaviors is that we try to monetize every single thing that we do. And it's not necessarily because we don't have money or because we want to make more money. Of course, most of us want are like, yeah, I'll take an extra G a month. That sounds great. Like, duh. And even, you know, when we're like, 
yeah, I actually definitely need to find another source of revenue or another source of income. We, we do this as well. But what often happens is we try to monetize every single thing we do because we need to basically hold ourselves accountable to continue to do that thing. Let's say you get obsessed with knitting and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I should, I can, I can knit cat sweaters. This is cool. Wait, I should make a cat sweater store, right? I should totally have an Etsy for cat sweaters. <laughs> even though you just started knitting like two weeks ago and you're probably really good at it. Let's be honest. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably good at a lot of things that most people are not good at. And you're probably like pretty talented and you can pick things up pretty quickly. And it's probably very annoying to other people. And it might be the reason that it's so hard for you to pick a lane and to pick a job because you're good at a lot of shit and you've tried to monetize a lot of shit. But in your attempt to monetize every single thing you do, you've actually cannibalized yourself. And you made it even harder for you to make money doing one thing and get paid really well for one thing. By the way, you're also sucking the joy out of all of these habits or you know, hobbies that you've taken on, these art practices. That's what I would argue they are, even you know, knitting cat sweaters. I would argue that that's an art practice. It's making for the sake of making. It's, it's making because of self-actualization or out of pleasure. And when we try to just monetize all those things, it sort of sucks the actual marrow out of the experience of doing it. And then it's not joyful. It's not fun. It's just more work. And no wonder we're exhausted all the time. So you don't have to monetize everything. Next week, I'm going to tell you why actually you need to monetize less to make more and how exactly to do that. But that will be for next week. (laughs) And I, I really hope that you can join me. I want to leave you with just one more idea that I'm kind of like obsessing over and it has to do with what we've talked about with quantum leaping and these I, this idea of finding new portals or finding new doors or finding new pathways. And you know, as a squiggly brained person, this is what you're going to be good at. Naturally, there's this theory or there's this problem, I guess, called the three body problem. It's this dilemma in astrodynamics where basically when there's two masses, let's say two planets, we can know 100% of the time how those two planets are going to interact with each other when we have you know, their mass and where they are in the atmosphere. When we plug in the numbers, we know what's going to happen. We know with zero doubt how those planets will move in relationship to each other, how those bodies will move in relationship with each other. But when you introduce a third body, a third planet, a third mass, the formula changes. And the thing is, they haven't exactly figured it out. It's been like, it's been a long time. (laughs) It's been like hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries that they've been trying to figure out this problem. And we can get pretty close to what we think is going to happen to those three planets, how we think they're going to interact, how we think they'll move. But it's just a guess because we can't get exactly to like, you know, the decimal point. We can't be 100% accurate like we can when it's only two bodies. It's this very unique problem that math just can't solve. Math just can't find the solution for it. Science can't find the solution for it. And because there's a very small percentage of almost like doubt, right? Or or just unknown. We actually, that's like the introduction of chaos theory because there's a small percentage likelihood that these three planets will move in a completely different way than how we're expecting them to move. And we don't know what that's going to look like. We can't say that that won't happen. And that's where chaos theory comes in. And of course, then after that, the butterfly effect. And 
I think this is so interesting because it's science. And even in science, even in something that's absolute like math, there's still room for magic. There's still room for another potential way. This is the only way to solve this problem, but there's this small sliver of a chance that there's actually, there's another way that this could work out. I think that's really all that collapsing a timeline is. I think that's what we're talking about today, what finding a new portal is. It's seeing that, yeah, maybe the math, you know, all signs point in this direction, but there's still a tiny, tiny percent chance that instead of all of these these three bodies moving in a circle around each other, they're going to do like a hoedown dance. And we just don't really know what could happen. And that's really cool. And to me, it it reminds me of the fact that when we make a choice, when we make a new choice, when we believe or when we see something differently, when we choose to see things differently, when we choose to try new pathways, to try new strategies, to try new tactics, it does open up this new possibility that no one's ever seen before, potentially. And who knows what could happen? That's all that I have for you today. I will leave you with the three bodies problem, which I fucking love. And I hope this was useful. I think that if you have a squiggly brain and you're an intuitive person, you'll really love the download that we created for you, the Rosebud, Rosebud, Rosebud worksheet. It's jam-packed with really helpful spell spell work, like practical magic and also esoteric magic. A really great playlist that Stacey put together for your wealth archetype. And more, lots of good, also some really helpful resources. So you can grab that in the show notes. And thanks so much for tuning in to the 12th house. I'm so excited to keep making stuff for you guys and to be back. And we'll see you next week. Okay, bye.